this morning was, at 11 o'clock was the memorial for Norm Kent, who of course was like my first friend in radio to be uh, simple uh, about it. He just was, he was my first friend because politically we were um, closer than I was to anybody else on that station. Um, but Norm was left of left of left. So, but he was brilliant and funny and clever and a baseball fanatic and really, really good to my kids who, who really took it very hard last week when I told them that Norm had passed. And it reminded me of what an integral part he was in their, in their youth. Because you forget about like what effect do your friends have on your children? But particularly for me, I was a single mom. And so male influences were very important for me to provide for my son in particular, and my daughter. She had very fond memories, but my son, you know, he right away into all the baseball games that Norm took him to, all the basketball games that they went to, how Norm showed up to watch him play baseball. Those were important things. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget how individuals have a profound effect on our lives and the lives of our families. So I was reminded of that and I said, I'm gonna go down to this memorial, even though I won't be able to stay long because I gotta get back and do the show. It wasn't sufficient time for me to, you know, make any other kind of arrangements. And I, I you know, I'm responsible for this, to be on the air at 12 o'clock, come rain or snow, well, there's no snow, rain or sleet or whatever, so I, I intended to pay my respects and then come back. And, and I'll tell you, I, I should post the picture, maybe I will tomorrow, of the, um, I pulled up to this, it's called The Venue, and it's in uh, Fort Lauderdale in Wilton Manors, which of course is the gay mecca of Fort Lauderdale. And I'm driving around the block and I realized that this is gonna be tough parking, you know, cause I know how many people you know, Norm knew and how many people Norm, how many people loved him. So I figured, oh, this is going to be crazy. Let me get there early. Since I can't stay late, I got to find a good parking space. And I start to drive around the block and I come upon this parking lot and this big sign in front of the parking lot that said event parking. And I just burst out laughing because Norm would have loved that it was an event and that you had to pay $5 to park at his memorial. Now I went to the free, <laughs> the free parking um, lot that was adjacent to it, but I had a good laugh over it. And I said to the young guys that were standing out in front of it, I said, Norm would have loved that. And they said, you're right, no, but he would have preferred it was $10. And, and I got a chuckle. So anyway, I walked into this event, that's what it was called. And you know, it was, not like any memorial I've ever been to, I can tell you that. I went to one that was similar, but not like this. And the venue has a big bar area, and the, the, the bar was up and running. Um, the house was packed, and it just kept filling up and filling up and filling up, people wearing everything from shorts and flip-flops to, you know, suit and tie. Um, I'm not going to mention the politicos that were there because they were all Democrats and they, you know, most of them didn't re didn't recognize me and I was trying to fly under the radar. Um, and I'm looking around the venue and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't know anybody. I recognize two people outside of the politicians who I had no interest in talking to anyway, but I only recognized two individuals in there. One was Norm's law partner, Russ. And of course, I remember Russ because Norm and Russ 
are my attorneys. So, um, you know, I, I have had a relationship with both of them. And so Russ was standing by the door and I did go up and he like, you know, did the, everybody was kind of just uh, mesmerized by the scene. And there were, you know, the, the usual scrolling um, pictures of Norm throughout his life, which I stood and looked at for a while. Um, but then I felt really, really out of place because Norm had very different he had he didn't just have two very different lives he had multiple different lives he had his radio life he had his legal life he had his normal the national organization of reform marijuana laws life and then he had his south florida gay newspaper life i mean he started svgp um, or whatever it's called south florida gay news gn and so um the crowd that was there was definitely not the radio crowd, not the, well, they might've been legal uh, clients as well, but they weren't straight. And the politicians were uninteresting to me. And everybody else was representative of the community where this was being held in, in Wilton Manors. And, you know, I just wandered around for a little while, listening to conversation, hearing people, you know, sharing memories. I, I only saw one person cry you know, a, a younger lady who was tearing up and, and trying to, I, I think she had just found out like over the weekend and she was still kind of, you know, um, in her, in her, her, people were actually trying to celebrate. And I get that because Norm would have wanted that, you know, so it wasn't hard for me to understand what was going on. It was just hard for me to be there. And and that's, you know, that's just my truth. I tell you the way I feel, even when the way I feel is not particularly flattering uh, to me or about me or anything else. But I just felt totally out of place. And I really didn't think that, um, that I, I had any business there. You know, I, I spoke to Russ before I left. Um, I did sign the guest book and I, I uh, you know, I made my way back home and luckily I left, you know, around 1120 because the rain was just uh, horrendous again. You know, it started raining when I was inside the memorial and it continues to rain. Right now it seems to be slowing up a little bit. I see the a little bit of blue sky up there, but mostly clouds and rain. But, I, you know, I was struck by the fact that there was such an incongruity to what I expect or what I'm used to when I go to a memorial, you know, where people are somber and there are people, I mean, people celebrate the lives of people, but they're usually pretty somber. And I, I've never been to a memorial with a bar. <laughs> I just, that's just not something that I'm familiar with. And, uh, and it was interesting. <laughs> um, but it was, it was exactly what Norm would have wanted. And that not that what it's all about, right? Whatever your memorial plans are for yourself, they should be what you want. If you want to celebrate and you want to be in, you know, a, a bar, then it should be in a bar, you know? And, and the people who you hung out with, particularly in the latter stages of Norm's life, your life with the exception of your family, probably, you know, will feel out of place. I did not see any other radio people there. I'm sure they were coming because I, I spoke to two who I know were coming, but I didn't see anybody there. So that was the that was pretty much the world that Norm and I shared, that and the fact that he was my attorney. But, you know, I don't know who his other clients are. And uh, I, we're not going to have like a, you know, a legal memorial. 
so it was just it was just an interesting um, event and an interesting experience for me. The best part was looking at the photographs um, because I remember, you know, I've I knew Norm for thirty three years, so I knew all those various stages. You know, I I knew the first time he dealt with cancer. I knew the you know, the, the early, early stages of, of his radio career. I knew the leaving radio and coming back to radio and then leaving radio and coming back to radio. I knew all those parts of Norm. Um, I knew his fight for the legalization of marijuana. My kid actually said to me, my daughter said to me in a, in a group text between my two kids and I, she said, I always thought that normal, N-O-R-M-L, stood for norm. I didn't realize it was the National Organization for Reforming Marijuana Laws. She said, I thought it was Norm's organization. And my son said, I did too. And so, you know, um, I certainly knew many different aspects of him over the 33 years and looking at the photographs was was great. Great to remember, you know, him in a Dodgers uniform when he went out to fantasy baseball camp and just his luck, he like broke his ankle or his heel or something just before he was going to fantasy baseball camp. So they had a picture of him there in the Dodgers uniform with the boot on, you know, and it, I, I remember it vividly. I mean, it was, it was such a, um, yeah, it broke his heart, you know, although it didn't stop him. Nothing stopped Norm from doing anything. If it was an unappealing cause, if it was a cause that was everybody um, had given up on, Norm was there. That was just who he was. And so the pictures reflected that. And I thought, you know, this is, this is just what he would have loved, especially the fact that, that they were charging event parking. I really, I, I don't know why that's, that struck me, um, but I guess I needed to find some humor um, in the day, and that was what provided me with the humor. That doesn't mean I don't have things to talk about, because my goodness, you know, the NRA convention, um, what's going on with these leaks, and, you know, it just, it's never ending. I, I wake up every morning and I, I try as hard as I can to just try and not um, dive deep into the dismal scene that's going on in my country today, it's virtually impossible to stay away from it. So I got lots to talk about, and we will uh, be talking about all those things. I do want to remind you that if you have the app, the 850 app, you should go to it right now. Check in or go to our website, 850wftl.com, because you can win one of our contests. And you can register to win these sweepstakes either at the website, 850wftl.com, or at the app. We're giving away a family four-pack of tickets to Sunfest, which is taking place May 5th through the 7th on the West Palm Beach waterfront. Again, if you don't enter, you cannot win. I'm going to take a quick break and break? I mean, no, I think I'll take a quick break and then I'll be right back. So, of course, one of the big stories out there is the uh, Dominion versus Fox and this defamation case that's finally going to trial. And, you know, everybody's watching this, not just because, you know, the haters are going to hate and the people who support Fox are going to support them, but because it truly, this lawsuit um, that Dominion, which is a voting technology company, um, claims that the Fox News Corporation defamed them and that they were severely damaged by lies about a stolen presidential election. So at its core, 
what the trial is going to test is the limits of libel law. And for those of us in media, this is a big case because if you can hold Fox, someone says on their station what one of their guests says, or even one of their hosts, because you know the views and opinions of the host are not supposed to be representative. That's why we have disclaimers all the time. The views and opinions of Joyce Kaufman are not the views and opinions of Hubbard Radio. Um, there's a very clear delineation. And so people either hosting programs or appearing on programs on Fox were saying that there had been fraud in the election, that the Dominion voting systems um, technology was ripe for fraud. Certainly, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell said it all the time, but so did the hosts. You know, Lou Dobbs when he was still there, um, Dr. whatever her name is, Judge Janine, um, Maria Bartiromo. They, they did uh, either in live interviews or on phone interviews, their claim was that the election had been um, monkeyed around with and that Dominion's machines weren't trustworthy. But if you're in the courtroom, it's one thing. If you're outside of the courtroom, you are getting to look for the very first time at Fox News. And you're getting to, and definitely how they are a key force and a driving force in Republican politics. Because now um, Discovery has shown us text messages and emails and all these internal communications between the executives of Fox and the personalities, the on-air personalities, um, including the highest rated ones, Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiromo, Sean Hannity, all of these um, inside baseball emails and text messages are fascinating. You know, uh, we don't know how many of them really represent the way those hosts felt about that because there is about how Tucker Carlson said, uh, you know, I wish he would go away and all this other stuff. Donald Trump just gave a, a one-hour interview to Tucker Carlson, which means they were together for more than an hour. For him to get 60 minutes of tape, they had to be there for two hours, maybe, or, or certainly a substantial amount of time. So this trial, which, by the way, is in delay today, um, is literally going to force certain people, like Rupert Murdoch, the uh, billionaire founder of Fox, and certainly... Um, people like Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiroma, they're going to get up on a witness stand and they're going to have to answer questions truthfully. I mean, my assumption is they're not going to, you know, not answer them truthfully because that would be extremely damaging to their lives, never mind their livelihood. Um, so I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because the media is having a field day. The left string, whatever you call the mainstream media, they think that this is going to blow, you know, this is going to end Fox. Nobody's going to watch it anymore. And uh, look, that may be their hope and their wish, but that's not how this is going to end. Um, for, for the, since the beginning of this lawsuit, um, Dominion has said that uh, you, you have, uh, that, the, that their lawsuit is for real and they mean it. And meanwhile, everybody else, including not just Fox, but everybody else, all the legal scholars that I've uh, read about, say that uh, this is a political crusade in search of money, you know, getting a financial windfall. But the real cost will be the First Amendment rights, because this in weeks after the 2020 presidential election, 
where Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and all these others started proffering the theory that the election had been stolen. Now, most of us weren't talking about Dominion. I can tell you that because I thought there were a lot of uh, quirky missteps. And I, I literally blamed the Republican National Committee for not watching more carefully and allowing you know, these, they allowed these states to change election laws, you know, under the guise of COVID, all of a sudden, you know, we had all these, uh, you know, mail-in ballots and ballots showing up and boxes of ballots disappearing and all this stuff. And I said, something's, something's fishy here. I don't like the way this smells. I think they, you know, this is a stolen election. But I never said I thought that Dominion was the reason. And so it, it, it's, uh, it's interesting that they, happened upon these two, I, I think in particular, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, um, who were Trump-aligned attorneys, and they used what they were sharing, whether you think they were baseless conspiracy theories or you think, uh, you know, the one that tied Dominion to Hugo Chavez, uh, it, their feeling was the hosts lent credibility to the claims. Now, I don't often share this story because I, I, you know, it was one of the more painful episodes in my career. But at one point in time, um, when I was on 850, um, it was a different format. We were doing financial journalism and, and therefore uh, my opinion on financial matters was used to lend credence to particular sponsors. But I always separated, you know, my opinions from the work that sponsors do. And I would always say, like, you need to know what you're doing. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't trust anybody just because you heard them on the radio. Even if you heard me talking to them, you still need to do due diligence, right? And at one point, a gentleman ended up making an investment that um, went south and sued the radio station and me. And it was a big deal. It was a landmark case. We had to get high-powered lawyers in there because, once again, the implication was if I could be held accountable for what somebody said in a commercial that aired on my show or on my station, then would anybody ever endorse anything again? Would Dan Marino endorse a car company? Would anybody? I mean, that's the, the question that we put before the judge. It was in Palm Beach County, too. And we put before the judge, we said, well, at what point does just the mere appearance on someone's show mean that that person is, uh, you know, responsible for what the listener does? You know, th th that just was, it, it was very nerve-wracking. I can tell you right now, the the uh, the they dragged out, you know, every posting I'd ever made on on at the time I was still doing Facebook. It was a long time ago, and uh, and you know, and it was it got pretty you know horrible for me. You know, thank God for my general manager at the time, Steve Lappa, who believed in me and just stuck with me, and we did prevail. Um, we won that case. You know, there was no time when I ever told anybody that they should do something with their money. I always said, here's ideas, do what you think is best, ask your financial advisor and things like that. So this again is another one of those cases where if, if this goes the wrong way, it's going to make it very difficult for uh, television personalities to entertain guests who may say something that, you know, is not true. Is that libel? And it's, um, even though defamation lawsuits are very difficult to win, um, some people think that this case, this Dominion case against Fox is unusually strong and there's a ton of evidence. But of course, Rupert Murdoch, who's famous for settling lawsuits, chose not to settle this yet.
So we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a pause in the trial today, a delay, and uh, rumor is that they are um, trying to negotiate a settlement. If if they do, that'll be the end of this case. I don't know how that'll turn out, but you know, um, they they'd have to take some money off. I mean, they're suing for $1.8 billion, $1.6 billion. Forget it. They're not going to get that in any settlement, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, I still got a lot more to talk about. I got to talk about this uh, Budweiser thing because it really is interesting how I'm the kind of person who never calls for boycotts. I really, it's just not... I'll tell you when I'm not using a product or not watching something on television because I personally um, don't like what they're doing, but I don't call for boycotts. I I think that, you know, that's almost like telling people, you know, you don't know enough to figure this out on your own. Uh, I mean, if you think that Dylan Mulvaney is okay for Budweiser commercials, I I know uh, Don Trump Jr. came out and said that, or Eric Trump, one of them, came out and said that don't, don't boycott Anheuser-Busch. They give a lot of money to Republicans. That wasn't the point, you know, and I, I'm curious uh, as to how this eventually plays out. Um, so I'm going to talk about that, and I also have to talk about one more thing. So don't touch that dial. I will be right back. Well, so Anheuser-Busch is attempting to get back in the good graces of customers with a new Budweiser ad, of course, because they had tremendous backlash from the transgendered Dylan Mulvaney ad. Uh, Anheuser-Busch has been under intense pressure ever since Bud Light decided to team up with Mulvaney, who's a biological man who seems to enjoy mocking womanhood and what it means to be a girl. The CEO of Anheuser-Busch, Brendan Whitworth, released a statement Friday afternoon that drew a lot of attention, but that wasn't all they did. As a matter of fact, their official Twitter account is running a massive paid ad campaign for a pro-America video that attempts to tie America to the popular beer brand. Uh, Look, I don't follow Budweiser, but it did pop up on my feed this morning with a clear promoted tag. And it's fascinating. The Budweiser video is nearing 35 million impressions since it was shared on Friday afternoon. I don't know what that means for sure, but it seems likely that a large chunk of those impressions were paid for because the beer brand has, it it doesn't even have 300,000 followers on Twitter. So how do you get 35 million impressions? Well, because uh, you're paying to have those Uh, those ads air everywhere. Um, And of course, the ad is a a horse running through the entire country. One of those Clivesdale, is that what they call those big horses that always pull the Budweiser wagon? They have a horse running through all different parts of America, people raising uh, the American flag and, and, you know, a big voice, close things out that states this is a story is bigger than beer this is the story of the american spirit so obviously the company is trying to tap into the people who love this country you know uh, because those are the exact people who do not want woke politics injected into their beer and it's you know you if you're anheuser bush you're looking at how this situation is playing out Ever since uh, Dylan Mulvaney dropped the uh, Bud Light collaboration video, which painted women as too stupid to understand sports, 
vaping backlash and sales are down. Anheuser Busch has lost billions of dollars in market cap. Um, a bunch of celebrities publicly dragging the beer brand. I mean, it's not just Kid Rock blowing up cases of it, but uh, uh, Big Rich, is that what his name is? Uh, you know, uh, they won't sell it at his bar. And um, and now, you know, they're trying to figure out how they how they get back those people that are predominantly the customers for their beer. So it's it's going to be, you know, again, fascinating. I don't call for boycotts, but, you know, uh, Budweiser walked headlong into this. I put up a um, uh, thought of the day, which really deals with like the fact that there are now um, groups, consumer research groups, that have put together like these things called woke alerts. And they tell you about companies, about schools, about um, you know uh, uh, investments that have bought into this crazy woke agenda that they don't believe the majority of Americans agree with. And I, you know, I don't know if the majority of Americans disagree or agree with the woke agenda, but I do know that even if it was evenly divided and you were half in and half the country's out, why would you not want to speak to everybody? Why wouldn't you stay away from very divisive uh, campaigns? Because that's the first thing that the Anheuser-Busch guy claimed. He said, we're about bringing people together over a beer. We're not about dividing people. Well, if you're not about dividing people, why would you let a man dressed up like a woman, why would you let them speak for your company? You know, you don't have to make fun of them, but you don't have to use them as your spokesperson of her entire gender. I mean, I, I looked at some of these videos that uh, Dylan Mulvaney has put, put out, which literally, uh, you know, he thinks that if he acts really silly and stupid, that he's more of a girl. Because when he was a guy, you don't act that way. Well, I beg your pardon, Dylan Mulvaney. I know lots of women who are not frou-frou silly girls. As a matter of fact, I know lots of women who are tougher than most guys, you know? And I certainly know women who are gay who are really ticked off about all this because this is not, you know what this does? And I, I have thought about this since the beginning of this whole, um, when my friend uh, uh, Abigail Schreier wrote the book about this craze of transgenderism among teenage girls. And I kept saying, you know, when you're at that stage, I've had teenage children, boys and girls, and I can tell you when they're in that like prepubescent through uh, puberty and into early uh, teenage years, they're a mess, man. They are confused. Their hormones are running wild. They're easily impressionable. Um, they're tired of, of not fitting in. They don't want to be bullied. I mean, there's all these dynamics going on. And for all of a sudden, somebody to say, hey, look, if you're confused or if you uh, are, are puzzled about uh, your place in the world, you might be in the wrong body. And these very impressionable girls go, hey, you know what? Maybe I am in the wrong body. Maybe that's the answer to my uh, puzzles. And, and certainly young men, the same thing. So a lot of my, my friends who are actually gay will say, it's almost as if they're discouraging people from being gay. You know, like you're a woman who should be a man. So demeaning. And, and, and that's what's going on. And you're starting to see the backlash, not just in terms of products like Budweiser and Nike with a sports bra. Why, why would you put a sports bra on some flat-chested dude 
and think that any woman in her right mind is not going to burn her Nike sports bra. That's what was happening all weekend long. I'm watching these videos, uh, and, and I don't do TikTok, so I'm sure they must have been all over TikTok too, of women burning their Nike sports bras. Now, I happen to have had two Nike sports bras in my entire life because A, um, they're kind of expensive, and B, I'm just not into brand names that much. Like, you know, I'll buy comparable uh, products with no brand name all the time at Ross or Marshalls or TJ Maxx, as most people, most Americans do that. You know, we're not um, going to the Nike store to get a sports bra. I go to Target, you know. And so I, I took out the two Nike sports bras that I still have. Good quality. I'm not, you know, I'm not making fun of Nike. They, they make good quality athletic wear. But I, I, I said, here, I handed it to my husband. I said, here, you put this on and let me, uh, you know, put, post that picture on, on Instagram and see what people think. And he goes, that's disgusting. I said, but that's what they did. That's exactly what they did. Because Dylan Mulvaney is a man just like you're a man. And it's obscene to have him put on a sports bra whose entire purpose is to keep a woman's boobs from uh, jumping up and down while she's running or playing tennis or whatever the sport is that they're advertising for. So, yeah, listen, that's not rocket science. Why did it take, uh, you know, this backlash for Anheuser-Busch or Nike or anybody else to figure out, like, don't make fun of women. First and foremost, no straight man is going to look at Dylan Mulvaney and go, hey, that's the beer I want to drink. And no woman is going to look at Dylan Mulvaney and say, oh, gee, that's the beer I want to drink. So I don't know who the target audience was. Less than 1% of people are actually transgendered in this country. So they were marketing to less than 1%. They ought to fire their marketing uh, company because that that that's a poor choice, you know. At least if you got five percent or six percent of the population, um, you could get a groundswell. But less than one percent, and you 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 trashed everybody else's feelings. Stupid. That stuff is stupid. So uh, you know there is this research uh, group, consumers research group, that puts out this woke agenda, and I'm watching it carefully. Believe me, it isn't just Nike, and it isn't just Anheuser Busch. It's Bank America, Bank of America. It's a whole bunch of these, uh, you know, doofuses who think that somehow by incorporating transgendered people into their ads, we're all going to be better off. Well, that's not working out very well for them, and and only uh, uh, you know a first year high school student would have thought it was a good idea. Just saying, you know. Um, and, and I do have to make mention of this. I don't know if I'll do the, the next segment about this, but it really was just very stressful for me um, yesterday to see this news that was breaking of literally hundreds of teenagers flooding into downtown Chicago, smashing car windows, um, and, and just, you know, attacking people and wounded by gunfire. I mean, a 16 and a 17-year-old uh, were in fair condition with gunshot wounds, but mobs of people who jumped on cars, it's just, isn't the end times? I'm really scared to see what they're gonna look like because that stuff is pretty outrageous. Anyway, this was a crowd that was trying to get into Millennium Park, but they have checkpoints all around the perimeter, and you're not allowed to go in there under 21 without an adult. So uh, they decided, no, we're gonna we're gonna crash it. They they're standing on top of Chicago Transit Authority buses. They're dancing up there, and uh, they they 
they were just reckless, you know, and, and why? Anybody can enjoy everything that Chicago has to offer, including the popular downtown area, but you can't be, you know, committing crimes. You can't be smashing people's car windows and beating people up. That's not going to be tolerated. And that's what they did. So it's sad. You know, in Alabama, a, a Sweet 16 party, four people shot and killed and dozens other injured. You know, like what is, I'm just going to say it one more time. If these aren't the end times, what will it take? I mean, um, Rome didn't fall in a day, but I think we've accelerated the fall of America. Anyway, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock is Ben Shapiro. And then tomorrow morning, the morning crew will be back, Jen and Bill and uh, Diener at 6 a.m. But I still have one segment left, so don't touch that dial. I'll be back to wrap it up. And, you know, one of the things that really disturbs me is how our whole financial solvency and future, and I I talk about this in my podcast this week, is really hanging by a thread. And it's because of a lot of missteps by this administration. The uh, Bob Nardelli, who's the the former CEO of Home Depot, says that you're going to have more bankruptcies hitting the U.S. economy. And he says it's the fault of the lawmakers because they have not come to terms with the, uh, the fact that this country's debt ceiling must be managed. Um, he said, I think we're going to see uh, a lot of bankruptcies like Bed Bath & Beyond. We got Walmart not only laying people off, but closing stores. We've got Accenture laying people off. We got Amazon closing distribution centers. So there's a tremendous mixed message. Um, the complexity of the American economy is different than anything Bob Nardelli said he's seen in 52 years of doing business. And he said, if Congress doesn't learn how to work together to raise the U.S. debt limit, um, the businesses are are living under a burden that they just can't handle. And he is definitely worried about the situation. And I am as well. And it's not because I think that, uh, you know, not coming to terms on the debt ceiling is so impelling with debt. It's just be unleashed in a way that we've never seen before. And, you know, there's no question in my mind, and I'm not a, an economist, but I do look carefully and I read as many reports, financial reports as I possibly can. And I'm telling you, we have a, a, a real problem with our supply side. And we really are seeing Americans unable to um, to go on in this manner. Uh, credit card debt is the highest it's ever been since we started even tallying these things. Um, what ended up happening was at the end of the pandemic, a lot of people had money. You know, not only had they not been able to go on vacations and go spend money, you know, as uh, as they used to, um, but they 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 saved it. They they got to put the money away. It would go into your checking account from your paycheck if you were working from home. And, you know, so you did some online buying, but you, you're not going to, um, 
you're not going to spend as much as if you go into a mall or if you go on a vacation or if you rent a car or rent an RV, all the things that people were doing prior to the pandemic because the economy was booming. And that, yeah, I don't care what they say, the economy was booming before the pandemic, you know, because a businessman was in charge and he cut back regulations and he, you know, he, he got this thing revving again. And then the pandemic came and there's nothing that anybody could have done. Although I tend to believe that we overreacted to the pandemic on both sides of the aisle. And now we're going to pay for that for uh, maybe a generation or two, actually. But I'm looking at this, you know, um, this article about uh, Bob Nardelli saying that Congress has to come together. No, no, no. Congress Congress help us our status as a world leader because if we continue to rack up trillions of dollars worth of debt, then we're beholden to guess who? Communist China. We're watching these uh, amazing alliances being formed all over the place now. You know, uh, Middle Eastern countries that like Iran and and Saudi Arabia coming together. I mean, I know that's not going to last for long, but still, this is the when there's a vacuum at the top of leadership of the nations, you get all kinds of weird stuff happening. And when we are trillions of dollars in debt, you're gonna see things that are just beginning to surface. Like for instance, the food supply. You know, people go, oh, we should not let China buy up farmland. Well, we certainly shouldn't, because right now as it stands, China controls 60% of you know a lot of different markets i think it's like 69% of the wheat market and rice markets and you know if they buy up what farmland we have left in america and there's quite a bit but if they buy that up then they control the food supply everywhere you know we import a lot of those things but we also still have capacity to grow a lot of those things but we have put ourselves in such a bad position that you know, I don't blame the communists in China or in Russia for ditching us. I think, uh, you know, they'd be stupid not to. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken.